Um, today's text is one of the, uh, I would say this, unfortunately one of the more difficult ones to preach in our current context today, okay? I don't think it should be, uh, but it is, right? And so predominantly both this week and next week and even a little bit into the week after, uh, we're going to be talking about racial reconciliation, okay? Which, listen, again, this is why I say it's unfortunate. This shouldn't be a thing that's like difficult for us to talk about. We should be kind of the beacon of hope for the world that's got this figured out. Uh, but we don't. And so we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. And the main reason we're doing that is because, well, one, it's, it's a big thing. And then two, that's what Paul is talking about in his text. And that's what we do. We open up the Bible and we say, Bible, what do you have for us? What, Holy Spirit, what have you written? Okay? And then how do we as a church then try and take that and apply that to our context today? In the next few weeks, Paul is dealing with racial tension and racial issues within the early church in the city of Ephesus. And so we're going to do a similar thing over the next kind of handful or few weeks. Um, I want to have kind of a few presuppositions that I need us to operate out of on the front end, okay? Uh, Because this is and can be kind of an issue where we hear past what's being said, okay, Uh, that we can kind of be focused. And so the first one is, please don't check out, okay? So I think some of us, man, we have our minds made up on where we land on this, and we have our kind of presuppositions about uh, what it is, and so we're like, you know what, like, let me just, I'm going to sit this one out a little bit. Please don't do that. Okay. Uh, the second one, don't assume or make assumptions that there's something behind what I'm saying that I'm not saying, right? Or behind something that maybe the Bible is trying to say that it's not saying. But rather, let us just really take the scriptures, unpack them, and apply them as they are preached to us, as Paul wrote them to the Ephesian church, and then we get to learn from as well now. Third, uh, please do not make this political. Now, let me be very clear. This is a political issue, right? There are significant political realities in our world today where this is a political issue, but that's not what we're doing, right? We're opening up the word of God, and if anything, we are looking at this from a lens of what is the politics or the way the church is supposed to govern itself, or the way the church is supposed to work out its faith, the way the church is supposed to engage in this issue. And so don't hear like, okay, because he said this, that must mean he's over here, right, on the political spectrum. Let's not hear left, let's not hear right, let's not hear liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, libertarian, right? Let's, let's not hear any of that, let's hear the word for what it says. So please don't, tr- like, try and not make this political, but let's just take the word for the word. The last thing I want to say before we start moving into the, so I've been very parched for some reason today, so Sorry if I drink, but um, the last thing I want to say before we kind of jump into and start breaking down this text is just kind of share a couple stories about what's, what's formed this, at least in my heart, uh, us as a staff, as we've begun to kind of have like really in-depth conversations where I'm going to be honest, as across our staff here, we don't disagree on everything. Uh, that, that we, we try and wrestle with these things. And that's why I love my staff so significantly is because we don't always agree. Like, it's not like, hey, this is very clear, right? Even where I might even say, this is clear, people that I love dearly and trust and speak into what we preach on might be like, I don't think it's that clear, right? So there is wrestling in this. And so that's been healthy for us, I think, over the last couple years. But I want to share two stories. One is not mine, one's mine. Um, and, and the one that's not mine is, is of Pastor Ricardo Stewart, He's the lead pastor of uh, Redemption Tempe down in, in Tempe, Arizona, one of our sister congregations, and he is a, he's a black man, okay? Um, and he, he shared this story recently, and I, and I think it's helpful for us to, 
to begin to kind of think through the, this issue, okay? And so uh, one is going to be one is going to be his story, one's going to be my story. But so his story was about two years ago, or about a year. Well, it's probably about let's see, just over a year and a half ago. We started planning in 2016, summer of 2016, June, July. We started planning for the Advent series of 2016, right? So six months in advance, uh, as, a, as a kind of all redemption church, we began to say, what are we going to preach for during Advent? We try and think in advance, hey, what are we going to preach on? So if you remember, if you were with us, back in Advent in 2016, we preached a series called The Justice of Christmas, right? And the lens and the desire, and, and Pastor Ricardo and some of the other pastors are the ones that truly kind of gave shape to what we would preach on for that series, and so Ricardo said, hey, well, what if we preach on the justice of Christmas? This idea of intentionally trying to look through the Advent story, the Christmas story, through the lens of the marginalized. And we do this, listen, we do this all the time. Like on, we're on Good Friday, right? We wanted to read the story from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Why? To have a fresh lens with which to see and interpret Good Friday. Because we hear Good Friday stories all the time. We know a bit about the cross. We know a bit about Easter. We know a bit about Christmas. So we try and say, what's a fresh way to kind of understand this story in this text? And so we did a series called The Justice of Christmas, looking at the lens of this story uh, through the eyes of the marginalized. Okay. Now, that was in June of 2016 that we planned that text. And plan that series. Then in November, an election happens. President Trump becomes the president of the United States of America. And then we preach a series in December, shortly following the election, right? And we preach on the justice of Christmas. And Ricardo, when he shares this story kind of emotionally and with tears in his eyes, says that for the very first time in his career in ministry, he thought, that's enough, I want out. I don't want to do this anymore. Because as soon as that series started, what began to show up in his inbox was email after email after email of, how dare you make this political? How dare you try and divide us? How dare you attack our president? And they began to attack his character and his motive and his content when all he was doing was looking at a fresh lens for the story of God. And he heard all this, and he received all this, and this is from people that had been at Redemption Tempe, some of them, for years. People Ricardo would call friends, and yet here they are in a moment, and they say, nope, I'm out. For the first time in his life, he thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I'll go be a teacher. I'll go be a coach. I played Division I football at ASU, right? He's like, I got, I got opportunities that I don't have to do with this. I don't have to deal with this. But I'm going to share a story at the end about what kept him going. Okay. The second story is my own story. And listen, I, you know, growing up in the, the South and being a brown kid, there's not a ton of brown kids in the South. There's a lot of black kids. There's a ton of white kids. And there's like six of us. Okay? And so it's just kind of confusing for the general population of like, what are you? You know? Like I'm like a beast or something, you know, but it was like, what are you? I had a, it was funny, like even this morning, people were like, yeah, we had no idea, you know. Uh, I thought you were Italian, which I've never gotten that, but I've gotten Italian, I've gotten Hispanic, I've gotten Arabic, I've gotten uh, uh, South American, I've gotten half this, half that, all that kind of stuff, right? And so there's always been this confusion around me, which sometimes has lent itself to some comments here and there. Um, I've received racial slurs a lot on the soccer field, which just kind of makes sense because you're out there playing on the pitch, and so you hear a lot of different things during sports. Um, but there was this moment that happened recently, just uh, about six months ago, where I was 
doing uh, a wedding down in Prescott for the Winstons, whom I love dearly. And, uh, and this is not a story about them. They're amazing. They love everybody. Um, but I sit down to have lunch at this restaurant in Prescott before their wedding is to happen in the afternoon. And I go and I sit down. I'm enjoying some pizza by myself. Life is good. I love just kind of doing lunch by myself sometimes just to be able to kind of dine and think and watch some office on my cell phone and stuff. And so, um, so I'm sitting there and I'm just eating. And then right next to me sits this table, probably a couple in their 60s. And I see this, this sweet old lady. I don't know if she's sweet. This is what you say when you talk about old ladies. And so um, she's sitting there and she keeps doing this. Like over and over and over. So I'm sitting there and I just go, what? You know, no, I, don't, I didn't do that. Um, I just, I just kind of, I like met her eyes and I said, hi. And she goes, hi. And she says, are you Islam? And I say, well, I don't say, I think in my mind, like, am I Islam? Like, am I an entire religion? Like, like, no, crazy, you know? But I go back to her and I say, I say, are you saying, are you asking me if I'm a Muslim? She says, yeah. And I say, no, ma'am, I'm not. I didn't give her much more than that. And she responds, okay, good, right? And about five minutes later, their food arrives, and this husband and wife reach across the table. They grab each other's hands. They bow their head, and they thank Jesus for the blessing with which they had just received. Now, do I think they're terrible people? Probably not. You know, do I think they hated me? Probably not. But there's just something that sat with me in that moment that was like, this is just not right. You know what I mean? Like the, the prejudice and some of the racist comments, things like that kind of, I've heard some of those and I certainly know they're more prevalent for plenty more people than me, right? That type of thing. But there's just something in this contradictory, contrasting moment of, hey, are you this other, right? Are you this other? Oh, you're not that? Okay, good. Let's pray. That was like, wait a minute, and just didn't seem right. It literally, like, it took everything in me to not, like, roll out a rug and just get on my knees. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, and just start going for it. Like, really shake her up. Like, I wanted to jump up, kick back my chair, and start screaming Arabic, you know, just so she would run out the door. But I didn't because I'm a Christian. But there's just something about that moment, and it's been this, listen, like, this desire to learn and to listen and to engage and to engage, hear me, in such a way that everybody comes to the table, right? That, that everyone can say, okay, we're, we're going to talk about this, and how do we talk about this well? And that's not always easy, right? Like, it's difficult to navigate that. Because sometimes, hear me, for, for, like, for many in the minority community, many of the marginalized are like, no, man, I've tried to go to the table, and it didn't go well for me right? So there's some of that, okay? There's some of, well, okay, I'll try, but when they've gotten there, maybe they're allowed to sit there, but they weren't allowed to talk. And this is a metaphor, right? And so, and so some of this stuff, right? And then there's, listen, now as we have it, we have white brothers and sisters that are also like, no, I don't want to come to the table because I'm also now fearful, right? Like this is, this is some of the realities. Now, whether or not you think that they should be, shouldn't be, I'm saying these are the realities and the complexities of our time. And if we want to move forward, it has to be dialogue. It has to be connection. It has to be conversation. And hear me, it has to be sacrifice. 
And what we're going to learn here today is that, man, some of that sacrifice we in the church need to own, okay? Significantly, some specifically within the church need to own in ways that maybe are very uncomfortable because it hasn't been that way for 400 years, all right? And so that, that's the thing. The, the last part of this, and I promise we will open the text, is that I was saved into a gospel, okay? Praise God, he saved me, that said, Jesus died for your sins, right? You're a sinner, Jesus died for your sins. Confess and believe in him, you'll be saved, and you go to heaven, right? And that's all true. All that stuff is absolutely true. But it is a part of the gospel. It is not the gospel, okay? It is an aspect and a piece of the gospel. It is not the gospel. Our gospel that often many of us have been saved, to, saved into, maybe, maybe, maybe it's just me, right, is smaller and more truncated than what the scriptures point to. And today's text is going to show us that. Because what we get here in just the verbiage, in verse 11, is going to say, therefore, talking to the Gentiles, therefore, remember, right? So last week, what we did is we covered, because of all these beautiful gospel truths, you've been saved, raised, graced by this gift of God. God has done all of this incredible things. He's chosen you, brought you into the family of God. So then go and do good works, right? That's what we studied last week, that the implication of the gospel story is good works. So often what happens is we read verses, excuse me, 11 through 18. 18 and say, this is more implication, but I'm telling you, this is not implication, this is the gospel, and it cannot be separated from everything we've already studied, because again, the imperative here is, therefore, not go and do these things, it's, therefore, remember these truths, remember that the gospel is bigger than just your individual salvation, okay, and so he's going to run through the text, and we're going to look at it. And we're hopefully going to live in a place where we move forward. So here we go. Ephesians 2, verse 11, begins with this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Please notice the quotes. By what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, this language can be somewhat confusing for those outside the church. You're just starting to hear about circumcision right now, and it can be a little confusing. And so when we say circumcision, that meant Jew. That meant if you were a Jewish person, your label would would be circumcision because going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, much uh, before earlier in our Bibles, that a, a sign that they were the people of God underneath Abraham was that they would have their foreskin circumcised. And so they said, so for the Jew, they used to call the Gentile, the non-Jew, the quote, uncircumcision. So there's four remembrances here. Okay, Gentiles, remember four beautiful things, four beautiful truths about the gospel. The first one is this. Gentiles, remember that you used to be mocked as the uncircumcision by the circumcision. Remember, Jews, that you used to be mocked as non-Jews by the Jews. Now, the terminology and the reason why it's even in quotes is this term is literally one of the earliest forms that we have of a racial slur. Like, this is literally a Jew saying something racially about someone who is other than, not them, different than. And so they said, this is who you are, now you have this label, and it was hugely derogatory. And so Paul said, hey, remember non-Jew, Gentile, like you, you, you used to be called this. 
by the Jews. They used to tear you down. You used to be outside and labeled as such. Secondly, remember that you were separated from God, that there was a vertical fracture and distance from God that you could not span, that you could not fix. Third, that there was a horizontal fracture and division between you and your fellow man, right? That the brokenness wasn't just you and God that had to be remedied, but there's a brokenness that exists human being to human being. That shouldn't shock us, okay? That there's division and there's strife and there's brokenness and there's hurt and there's all this stuff between human beings. Fourth, that they were strangers to God's covenants and hope. They did not know the gospel story. Okay? And when I say gospel story, that's intentional. Because again, we often think gospel, we hear gospel, and what do we think? We think only of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. I'm here to tell you, the gospel is much bigger. Let's look at Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Galatians is a letter that Paul, the author of Ephesians, will also write to the church in Galatia, talking in depth about the gospel, and he says this, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, if you're following along, says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the gospel was preached well before to Abraham, thousands of years prior to the advent of Jesus. The gospel that said, no, no, this is for all nations and will be attained through by faith. That the, the corridor with which you walk through is faith in Jesus for all nations. This gospel reality was present for much longer than just when the church was alive okay, and enacted when Christ left. So the question has to become, okay, why didn't they know? Why didn't Gentiles already get this? What took so long? If the gospel was preached thousands of years ago with a mandate on Abraham and the people of God that the entire nations would be blessed through them, that the access to this God with whom they worshipped was faith, then what was missed? It seems like the people of God for thousands of years didn't buy into the mandate that the gospel was for all people. That they didn't buy into the reality that the gospel was attained by the internal, not by the external. And they missed it. So then our brother Paul then has to pen these letters to these churches to kind of inaugurate and say, no, no, we're going to get after this again because we've missed it. The Jewish faith, us as a people, Paul being a Jew himself is like, I missed it. We missed it. The gospel is truly for everyone. And is access by faith, the internal, not the external. Now, for the average day Gentile hearing this from Paul in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a city of severe multiculturalism, right? Like all sorts of backgrounds, races, colors, uh, socioeconomic status. And if you're a Gentile and you're hearing this, this is revolutionary, and it shouldn't have been. This should have been known. This should have been something that they were like, oh yeah, of course, of, of course Yahweh loves me, because that was preached thousands of years ago. But they missed it, okay? And so, and so now Paul is like, so something need be done. Church, now we got to get after it. 
And so it doesn't surprise me that maybe we still have these problems today, okay? Because they didn't figure it out for the first handful of thousands of years. We're not just going to figure it out overnight either. Okay, so let's keep going. Now, verse 13. <clears throat> but now, and anytime, like a but is just, that sounds weird. The word but is a fantastic word in your Bible, okay? Because it, it's going to contradict intentionally everything that's come before it. Okay? So you used to hear you were all of these things, and they're all negative, right? You used to, have, uh, used to be mocked, used to be outside the family of God, used to be at disconnect with God and with fellow man, okay? But now, God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hear me, church. The reason why this has become such a necessary, passionate plea, I think of, our soul, of my soul, uh, of our staff, uh, of the church as a whole, as many people are starting to man, really preach and move us in a healthy direction, is because, listen, this cannot happen outside of Jesus. In other words, all of the striving, and hear me, like there are amazing people outside the church and outside the household of faith. Good people, activists, people who are pursuing unity and pursuing forgiveness and grace and peace and all stuff. I'm telling you, the beautiful reality of this type of thing happening can only happen through the work and the blood of Jesus Christ, with which is a story that the church possesses. This is a passion because the church must be, necessarily has to be, at the forefront of the reconciliatory work in our country. And if we're not, we're punting on our responsibility. Because if it's true, what he's saying, all this was true, and it changes because the blood of Jesus. That's what we do. So we have to be at the center. And oftentimes we're off to the side. And so we need to insert ourselves intentionally to be the light we're supposed to be, per Matthew 5, a city on a hill, right? That the, that the world would look at the good works of the church and say, man, I'll glorify the Father in heaven. Got it? Let's keep going. Verse 14. Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, this is, this is a profound verse here. Now again, remember, the gospel was preached. It was missed, not shared, not engaged with. There was still division going on. Now this is most obviously seen through this verse. Now I want you guys to, and I, I mean this is a little question, are there any like ethnic Jews in our midst this morning? Okay, no, right? So our entire, entire group today, let's go on a journey. You're a Gentile just like myself, a non-Jew, Okay. And so I began to think about this this week, and so we're all going, and the way I pictured it this week as I was kind of praying through our sermon, prepping and things like that, was I pictured kind of our church, but I pictured predominantly my wife and my two kids, and we're walking to go and worship Yahweh, the God of the Bible, okay? And we're all going to temple to worship Him, celebrate Him, learn about Him, that type of thing. And so we begin to walk into the courts, and we're walking, and we're walking, we're saying hi to friends, right? We stopped by the coffee stand on the way in. It's just a good morning, okay? That's good. And then, um, and so then we start walking, and as three-and-a-half-year-old kids do, Finley lets go of my hand and just starts sprinting, 
right? And like, this happens just all the time. Finley, where are you going? Oh, I saw a bubble. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay. And so he runs, and I picture him running through this large opening that goes into the inner courts of the temple, and I chase him down using my lightning speed, and I grab him by the arm, and I yank him back. And I say, Finley, you can't go there. And in tears, because I just probably yanked his arm off, he says, why? And I say, son, because you can't read yet, but let me tell you what that sign right there says. It says, any Gentile, in other words, you, son, any Gentile that passes into the inner courts has only himself to blame for his impending death. Okay? Now, this is not me conjuring up a story. This is a real wall with a real inscription that you can visit to this day. At the temple, there was a division, a dividing wall of hostility, as Paul would call it, that said, listen, all of you that are not us, you're over there. Okay? All of you who don't look like us, you're over there. And you cannot pass into where we belong. You don't have that kind of access. This has been an issue for a very long time, church. And so when Paul is coming in and he's saying that the gospel reconciles Jew and Gentile, and you're hearing this, and the Gentile has experience after experience after experience of walking up and having to have conversations with their children that know you don't belong in there, and then the gospel is going to come in and say, no, no, wait a minute, let me rethink this for you. We're one, which it's going to introduce in just a moment. By the blood of Christ, God is going to do something absolutely supernatural. Now, <clears throat> um, I love HGTV, okay? Uh, it kind of makes me feel like I know more what I'm doing than I do, right? And so you watch this show. Is there any Fixer Upper fans? Handful of those? Okay. Um, and so you watch Fixer Upper, and we were on the flight back from Nashville. Our staff was in Nashville at a conference this week, and you fly back, and Southwest has got this whole TV thing. thing. It's really sweet. And so I'm watching HGTV, and Fixer Upper comes on, and there's these moments when you watch Fixer Upper, and like Chip Gaines is like my spirit animal. Like, that's my dude. Like, me and him, like, he just, you know, he does really silly stuff, and then his, his wife, like, eye rolls him all the time, and that's just me and Verity, right? And so... Um, I love that show, and there's these moments that happen in the show, and it happened again yesterday, where they buy the house and they think that the issue is cosmetic, but it's actually structural, right? Where, where, where they get into the house and like, you know what, like, we'll just kind of, this is just like, we'll paint it, or it's a quick fix, it's a simple thing, it's a cosmetic issue, but then when they finally get in the house, they start knocking down walls, because you got to have open floor plan, uh, when they start doing that, they're like, hey, the foundation is completely jacked up. We can't build anything here because all of this is a mess. I think the reality with race relations in the church and out of the church is it's like become this cosmetic issue. Where we're like, there's a couple of quick fixes here. Let's do a couple little things differently. Right? Let's use a little bit of different wording. Let's just think better, Right? And if you think the issue is cosmetic, then put some makeup on that thing. But if you think the issue is structural, you've got to tear the wall down and rebuild the foundation. Okay? And that's where we're at. And what I'm about to say, man, I'm going to be honest, it's, it's like hard 
to talk through. But the foundation that has been built up in the American church today is not a healthy one. And the reason why I don't think it's healthy, it's not in its fullness healthy, is because for 400 years, all the things that it has done, the places that, has been, that it has gone, the liturgies within we express ourselves on Sundays, predominantly, hear me, predominantly, have been structured, planned on, and decided upon by white men. That when they started thinking through, hey, how are we going to run church service? It was mostly just white men that were having that conversation. And if a minority wanted to be part of that, they got to step into our world that we've crafted. Okay? Now, this, this, is not like, this is not like really debatable. This is just a reality of the last 400 years of the church and of our nation that has been crafted largely by white men. Okay? So if that's the truth, what would it look like to re-envision potentially what the church would look like today if who was sitting at the table 400 years ago as churches and, and people started coming over to this nation, right? As we started planting churches and missions on What if the people sitting at the table were black, white, and brown from different backgrounds, different, uh, both rich and poor, right? male and female, all together crafting, hey, this is what I think the faithful presence of the church should look like in the world. Hear me, what if back then, 2,000 years ago, the church tried to only plant churches that were only with a bunch of the Jewish believers sitting around a table without any input from the Gentiles? What would their churches look like? I guarantee you they wouldn't be ones that Gentiles would feel comfortable in. And so they didn't do that. What we see in the church in the first 300 years of the church is this massive explosion in the church and I think it's because they had a faithful witness to the watching world because Jew and Gentile alike came together and said, man, what does it mean for us to do church well? To be the faithful presence of God in a watching world. And unfortunately, that is not what we've done in our country for a long time. And we need to own that. Does that mean, hear me, does that mean that all the white men that did that were bad people? No. It doesn't mean that they're terrible people. I think they love Jesus and were trying to do their best. But man, there was this entire missing piece to the family of God that was not at the table to figure out and decipher what it would look like to do church. And so we have churches all across. We, okay, we have a church like Ricardo's church, which is predominantly still white, even with a black pastor, right? Their demographics are kind of literally like weakly changing a little bit. But that revolt at the single slightest moment that there could be something that pushes up against them. And they'd bail. So this is, this is not, hear me, this is not a, hey, because you're a white male, you've done all this and how dare you? No, it's none of that. That's foolish. But it's also just as foolish to not acknowledge that that's been a reality in our world today. And if we want to course correct, it can't be cosmetic. It's got to be foundational. And we need everyone at the table to build a better foundation. We need everyone's voices and input, and insight, thoughts, to be able to be the faithful president that God's called us to. And that's what we're getting here in Scripture. Let's keep going. Verse 15. 
How does he do this? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what does God do? In Jesus, right, his blood was shed, but he fulfilled perfectly what? The law. His life fulfills perfectly the law, and thereby in the crushing of him, he tears down these walls in himself. Thereby is our peace that in his resurrection there might build something new that is beautiful and an expression to the world of who God is. Now, if we're trying to really think through this, this thing, I know the question often comes up, well, great, that just means let's be colorblind, right? Well, I'm colorblind. Now, hear me, I understand, and I have so many like, really close friends that say that, and I truly believe what they mean by that is, well, I, don't, I just don't see anyone as different. And that's great. Like that, that time, that's very good, okay? But I'm telling you that what's often heard by a minority is you don't care about my culture or what I look like. In other words, you just kind of want to brush past that we are different. True unity, ready? True unity is not set your differences aside for the sake of this. It's bring your differences and in the midst of them become this. The reality is, is if God didn't care about color, why did he create multiple colors? Okay, like if color mattered not to God, why input in the skin of human beings a thing called melanin that would make us look different from one another? God cares intrinsically about color. He cares intrinsically about the culture that drives and moves and shapes those colors. So what does it mean for the church then to be the faithful presence? It's to say, no, bring me your culture, bring me your backgrounds, bring me your values, bring me all of you, and let's still be united. By the blood of Jesus. Bring it all in. That's what it's saying. And so colorblindness in that sense is not the answer. Now, the question was, well, how do, you, how do, how do we view that? Like, okay, if that's not a great illustration, how about this one? The Trinity. God, right? So God, three in one. Three unique, distinct persons all in one God. They don't look the same, right? They don't act the same. They have different roles within the Godhead, and yet they're all God. They submit to one another, right? Jesus is not less than the Spirit. The Spirit's not less than the Father. The Father's not less than Jesus. Jesus is not less than the Holy Spirit. Vice versa. They're all equal. Equally playing their role in the Godhead as one unified picture of who God is. And then now, what does he do? He creates in us the image of God, as we studied last week, the poema, the poem, the corporate vision for who God is. The church brought together from every background, every race, every socioeconomic status, male, female, to present to the world something more beautiful than they can ever imagine. This is what he's talking about. The relations that we have within our country today, listen, they're, they're not worse than it was then. You study some of the ancient church history, or not church, sorry, ancient Roman history, the relationship between Jew and Gentile, and then if you start bringing in specifically within Gentile, between Roman citizens and non-Roman citizens, like the issue of being divided against those who are other and different has been an issue for a very long time. And we haven't done super well with it. And I think because we've tried to just give this cosmetic approach, we need to go back to the beginning and begin to restore and rebuild and build up better things 
that we can be the church that is a faithful witness to the world. We land here, verse 17 and 18. And he came, Jesus, and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And man, what an incredibly beautiful verse. But if you're a Gentile and you're receiving this letter, right? So the way it would work is Paul would send this letter to the Ephesian church. There would be a courier, someone that was with Paul, that would carry this letter, right? The postal service didn't exist. They would carry this letter to the Ephesian church. They would gather the people before them, and then they would read it. And oftentimes, as they would read it, it would come along with some commentary. And I can imagine that if you were a Gentile sitting in the Ephesian church and you're receiving this good news, just what that would do for your soul. Hey, you're welcome here. And you're not just welcome here. We just don't put up with you. We need you. And we need your input. We need who you are from top to bottom, inside to outside, every aspect of you. We need you in the household of faith if we are to be a representation of God to the world. I don't, listen, I don't want to pretend that I know all of your experiences because I don't, obviously. I know a lot of my own and I know that oftentimes when I begin to dialogue with those that are in minority populations and I begin to ask them, hey, like, do you feel comfortable being in a place like this? And maybe it's just the people I talk to but the answer is usually no, at least not fully. Because it's not that, and they'll say, it's not that I don't enjoy it. I'm good with the music. I'm, it's, it's just a feeling. Like, it's, it's hard. And that's not, listen, and I don't speak for every minority. I'm saying the conversations that I'm often getting into is that it's a little bit more difficult to be fully known and to feel fully engaged. And that is not because there's any one person in here that's more racist than another it's not because you're specifically doing something. It's not like, oh, there was a minority sitting there and you intentionally walked to the other side of the room. It's not that you're going to go to lunch this afternoon and you're going to see a person from a non-majority part of the culture and you're going to ask them if they're Islam, right? Like, I, I, I don't think that's what happens here. Like, I know so many of you and I know that's not your heart, but we are foolish to think that these things are not realities. And so the question then becomes, well, what do we do moving forward? And so next week, we're going to jump back into the text, look over some more verses, and we're going to talk more implication and application of these gospel truths. What does it mean for us to move forward? What does it mean for us to do this well? So listen, I get if you can't come, you got something else going on, but if you can be here next week, please be here as we flesh this out a bit more and engage with this. Because this is an issue of vital importance because it's an issue about the gospel presentation to the world and about bringing in those who were outside as they did 2,000 years ago. I land with a story that I said was going to come full circle for Ricardo and, and what's happened with him. So Rick, that's what I call him, um, Rick had that moment where he's like, I think I'm out. And then he had this time where he's sitting down with his wife, Holly, and Holly is, is a white woman. And uh, as you can imagine, there were, were, there were those that frowned upon their relationship. Uh, when they started dating, okay? But her family, on the whole, was all about it. 
Like, they're like, that's great. Except for grandma, right? Like, grandma, just kind of old school, was just not feeling that and made that known initially. So the first time Ricardo goes over to meet Holly's family, she wouldn't talk to him, okay? He would try and go talk to her. Hey, grandma. Hey, hey, grandma. You know, and she's like, maybe she can't hear me. Grandma! You know, and start like, hey, hey! And wouldn't listen. And so he doesn't talk to her ever. She won't converse with him. And so then he, uh, they go to their wedding. And they, they say, we're, we're getting married anyway, that's everything. And uh, they go to their wedding. They have the rehearsal. They have the wedding. And, and Ricardo and all his, you know, friends from past and present, Holly's friends from past and present come. And it's just this kind of, they say, beautiful picture of just like the diversity of their past and their present. Just tons of different colors and friends and backgrounds and all that stuff. And he said, Ricardo said, there's only two things that he's found that truly unites all people. He said, one is the gospel. He said, two is the electric slide, right? <laughs> he was just like, he's like, man, that song comes on. You got the 80-year-old granny and the 20-year-old black college student, that an electric slide. They're like, okay, you know, like, all right, you know. And they just said, like, there's this moment where Holly and Ricardo are sitting at a little honeymoon table, and they look out on the dance floor, and the, everyone's doing the electric slide, like just the whole, and it's just, it's just the bomb, right? And his grandma walks over, and usually, like this is how, like he was like, this happens all the time, she would walk right past me to go talk to Holly. Instead, she walks her way over to Ricardo, stops in front of Ricardo, tears in her eyes, believing, having believed a certain way for 80 years of her life, she looks upon her new black grandson-in-law and says... I guess in Jesus, race doesn't matter at all. And, and here, here's why that's such a beautiful picture. Okay? One, that's a beautiful thing. Right? And the church has an opportunity to be a witness to the world about the beauty of God and what he tears down. It is a gospel presentation type of issue. And then two, Ricardo began to share just how in that moment, how just another weight got taken off his shoulders. And the heavy burden that he walks through this life with, that I, that I don't, in a lot of ways, he said he felt just one more weight fall off his back. And he could walk freer and felt more at home than he had the minute before. And man, church, should we not love like that? Should we not allow the gospel to be about setting free those who whether by you or by someone else or an institution or whatever it may be, experience a weight that you may, not, may, you may not be able to understand. And so we're going to talk more about what that looks like next week. But man, this has got to be something that we press into. Okay? Don't put your... Hear me. This is what's going on with the Jews and the Gentiles. We're going to talk and bring that into brass tacks here. Because hear me, this, this, and I'll be very clear, this isn't just black-white, okay? This, this, is, this is like just division and hostility across all races. Listen, and let's be honest, there's division and hostility within races, okay? There's division and hostility uh, between economic statuses, between, uh, between genders, like all of this. And so we're going to delve into that world. But we do see here, and you cannot deny, and I'll say this last thing, this is not a topical sermon. You know what I mean by that? In other words, this is not Anthony and myself and our staff thought, you know what we really need to do is have three weeks on racial reconciliation. So please don't receive it as that. This was, we're preaching through the book of Ephesians. 
And the Holy Spirit and Paul decided this was an issue in the church, and so they needed to preach on it. And so we did through the writing of this letter. And we'll do that next week too. Let's pray. Jesus, first, I guess I just want to, I want to just confess to you, Lord, where there are moments where I'm just wrong (laughs) and, and aspects of this that I'm not seeing clearly. Because God, I know there's so much I have to learn and to listen to you to engage with good conversation and dialogue from people from all different type of viewpoints. But Lord, we do want to pray, or I do want to pray for all of us that are kind of in this space now and just in our church and in the church, that, that Scripture would be our guide, that Holy Spirit, that by your power, you would illuminate these realities. You'd bring conviction and counsel and truth. God, I pray that you would allow us to to sacrifice and to lay down. And and God, give us even wisdom and prep our hearts for what we talk about next week as we kind of delve into what does that sacrifice look like? What does it mean for us to engage in this across the divisions of our world? What does it mean for the church to be this otherworldly, supernaturally different presence that points to you and who you are? God, I thank you that there is a diversity of opinion in this room right now. God, that we can learn from each other, that we can engage, that we can have dialogue. I pray that in that diversity of opinion, that the desire for every heart in the room would simply be to have your heart and to have your mind, to have your eyes and have your ears God, that we would see and hear, we'd think and feel like you do. And I trust, God, that amongst the people of God, that by the power of your Spirit, you will equip us using your word and using each other. That as we consistently pursue a sacrificial pursuit of Jesus, a sacrificial pursuit of the life you've called us to, that, God, we will become the church And I don't mean here at Redemption, Lord. I'm talking across our city and world that we would be the people of God, Lord, that you need us to be, to bring healing and peace to a broken world. Lord, I thank you for the many that have gone before, that have fought and put in time and energy and sweat and pain and hurt. God, to advocate to call out with prophetic voices, God, the need for a restoration project, a reframing project. And so, Lord, we just ask by the power of your Spirit with wisdom and insight about how to best build next. God, I thank you, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.